0: Welcome to On Living, The Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Voice America. This is Leanne Yuan speaking to you. Welcome to the show that is dedicated to um, an exploration of uh, of how to live, I guess. You know, over the past few weeks, I have talked at length about um, cases that I have encountered, you know, where life can be derailed. Um, I've been talking to you a lot about how a person can really f- willfully, turn away from his own humanity as a way of protecting himself against the hurts and the risks of life, of, of being human, really. And I share these thoughts with you as a way of, of articulating what I have learned, what has been revealed to me in my work about what we humans need to survive, um, About what we humans value and pursue in our existence with one another. And so these conversations, you know, gradually led me to the question that I posed last week uh, that I would like to pose to you and not to my guests from here on, which is how do we heal? How do we let the light enter? You know, how do we remain human? How do we reach for beauty and purpose? Uh, Life wounds us. Yes. But how do we try for more than just survive the wounds? So I've been exploring a lot about the notion of, you know, surviving a traumatic blow, what it really means, what it looks like, what it takes. And, you know, if you're just joining us now, I would refer you to previous episodes in July and August for this, um, these discussions but going forward with this show, which now aims to explore, um, you know, how to find purpose, how to let the light enter, uh, we're going to attempt basically to, to look into how we cultivate our humanity. You know, the the quote by the poet, um, the, the Sufi poet Rumi that I love, which is the motto for the show is, the, the wound is where the light enters. You know, I want to follow that quote because there's a crack in everything that the singer, songwriter Leonard Cohen said. You know, he said, that is how the light enters into us. Um, so how do we reach for that in the face of loss and fear and sometimes cruelty? How do we find the light? Now, much later in this season, I will also explore how we as a culture, as a society, how we provide the support and the resources for this project of finding the light. Or do we really, you know, do we help one another find our way there as a country, as as a, a people? But today... I have a wonderful companion in in trying to answer the question of how to find purpose, how to find a light after being terribly wounded by life. And so my guest today is Suzanne Hemke. I mean, sorry, Hemke. Um, She and I have something in common, which is that people keep mangling our last name, I'm sure. So, as you know from, from the bio, you know Suzanne is a mother of two. Uh, she lives in Texas. She's an author, recently published a book uh, called Healing Scarred Hearts um, about her experience over the past few years. Um, the subtitle of the book is A Family Story of Addiction, Loss, and Finding Light. Uh, Suzanne is also a public speaker and activist. Um, she is an activist in fighting uh, the opioid addiction. Now, if you live in the U.S., you know very well about this problem, you know, either from every front page uh, of the newspapers or from personal experience, you know, with neighbors or neighbors' friends, friends, children, uh, co-workers. If you live outside of the U.S. and maybe are blessed with more education, better healthcare access, and better regulation of the pharmaceutical companies, um, you should know that opioid addiction is currently one of the greatest um, crises. Um, and I was going to say, you know, one of the greatest healthcare crises, but that would not be correct. You know, a healthcare crisis would be gun violence, in my opinion. But. Um, the opioids now kill more than breast cancer, No, just so you know. The epidemic in America, it has been predicted, uh, will kill close to one million lives by 2020. That's less than two years from now that one million Americans will die from this epidemic. Every day right now, more than 100 people die of an overdose. And every day, more than 100 people. That includes Children. So Suzanne lost her child, her eldest son Hayden, to this epidemic a few years ago after many torturous years of seeing him through this terrible disease. You know, I learned from her that it is a disease, that there are signs to spot, things to do to help prevent the disease from taking hold of your beautiful children and from killing them, but things that are not done enough. And that is, it seems to me, her life's purpose now. That's why she's involved. And I wish to support her in that effort. But I invited her to join me today to really talk with you about how she found delight after the wound of losing a child. You know, there is a curse. I don't know from which country, which culture, but the curse goes something like, you know, may you bury your children. Like, that's the worst thing that can happen to a person. And that happened to Suzanne, but she's here, making a difference in the world. So I want to ask her today to talk to us about how she made her way back, you know, how she did more than just survive uh, burying Hayden, uh, but be who she is now in the world. Uh, There is a lovely quote by Joseph Campbell that Suzanne quotes, uh, used in in, in the beginning of her book. I, I love that quote. Let me see. It says, we must be willing to get rid of the life we have planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. Let's find out. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Suzanne.
2: Hi, good morning. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you so much for having me and um, Uh and caring and being interested in this, this crisis that we have going on today.
1: Yeah. Well, but as I said, you know, today I'm most interested in you.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. Thank you for in, that. In how too. <laughs> you made your way, you know. So, sort so of quote by Campbell, you know, to 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 live the life that is waiting for us. How would you describe? What's the difference between your life now and before? Are you a different person? Do you approach life differently now?
2: Yes, I am. I'm definitely a different person. um I think what I mean when I when I found that quote, and I do use it in my book, that from you know, when my husband and I uh came together, we were married, started our family, and we began talking about all the plans that we, we had made for us and the plans that we're gonna you know, our kids were going to follow and and just how we saw our life just sort of going in this particular plan that we had set for ourselves never really considering um, some major crisis that could impact our family, uh, one of those, of course, being addiction. And so I think um, it is it is part of you wants to be on this plan that you have for yourself. Right. But then when major crisis happens, that plan is completely destroyed sometimes, completely changes, and you have to be willing to change and accept what has happened and start a different phase of your life and, um, and be on a new plan, shall we say, or, or a new walk of life after, after a crisis when you have deviated from this plan that you thought you, you would be on and stay on and everything would be fine.
1: Right, right. When did the so-called crisis start? When did you have some inkling that you know, your path was being, uh, was taking a detour?
2: So that crisis uh, became um, apparent after, of course, we had four, four kids. We actually have four children and not, not two. Um, our oldest son, Hayden, uh, began experiencing some difficulties in life uh, around his eighth or ninth grade year. So um, we, at that point, uh, you know, somewhat had our head in the sand. We weren't aware of what all was going on with him and his... Um, Starting to use substances and abuse substances, which uh, quickly escalated into really feeling the need to have those substances and um, put him into this addiction state. so um, we you know we struggled with understanding that and or in denial of it and not understanding it, not being aware of it and um, and eventually the crisis became so so bad, and we did become more aware of it, that uh, we began having to really search for answers and make changes mm-hmm. within our family.
1: Mm-hmm. But what did bad mean in, in this case? What did that look like? What were the signs? Uh,
2: what were the signs, you said?
1: Yeah, when you said it came really bad, What describe more what really bad looked like.
2: Yes. Okay. So I would say, um, again, I'll take you quickly down sort of the scenarios Mm -hmm. that begin to unfold. So we did have four kids. Hayden was our oldest. He began um, abusing substances between 8th and ninth grade, which we were very surprised about because, um, you know, we just weren't ready for that. We had not talked about it. We weren't prepared for one of our children to start using substances at a young age. This Mm -hmm. quickly escalated um, for him. Uh, it escalated pretty quickly for us. We didn't really notice the, the problem in the situation. And several years passed and we began to see changes in Hayden, behaviors with Hayden, his attitude changing, grades dropping at school, mm. um, his, uh, just the way he behaved and the way he became more secretive. And he was starting to lie and he was starting to steal from us and, this was all very shocking because we had raised him with morals right. and values and that was all very shocking to us. At the same time, it was happening over a period of time. So several years passed and we were dealing with these issues before we really, you know, sent him off to just to try to get some help. Maybe just assuming he was just having behavioral issues, still not really understanding the impact of addiction that he was experiencing. Um, and somewhat in denial when for the first time when someone called him an addict. We were very much in denial, and it was so hard to hear our, our child, especially our firstborn, um, mm-hmm. being labeled as an addict. And so we struggled with that. But then after another major crisis happened where he did return after he had been away trying to get some help, and he started using um, the prescription medication Xanax, um, mm-hmm. And then he ended up with a felony because he had this prescription medication on school campus that was not his, and it's a controlled substance.
0: Mm-hmm. So now
2: our son had a felony, and things just began to spiral and spiral and spiral. And he struggled, and he relapsed, and he had more legal charges to deal with. And the whole family was impacted, as you can only imagine, with the three younger kids behind him right. in the house. And he's coming and going with his relapsing and his struggles and you know my husband Carl and I just trying to figure out what we need to do what's going on Um at the same time we were we were embarrassed about it because right. nobody was mm-hmm. talking about it and we were we were somewhat trying to hide the crisis and what was going on instead of bringing it to the surface and talking about it together as a family with our other kids trying to find other people who were going through the same struggles as us um, because back now, then, Suzanne, it was sorry to not- interrupt. Yes. Well, okay. why were you embarrassed about it?
1: What, what was what is the stigma with addiction?
2: So I think the good news is is today it is much better much better than it was back when Hayden was starting to struggle um, around two thousand eight, uh, two thousand nine. Actually he started struggling in earlier than that, but when we began to realize he was pretty severe, he was an addict Nobody was talking about this, and we were in a school mm-hmm. district that was very competitive, mm-hmm. and so everybody was talking more about, you know, how great their kids were doing and the great grades and the colleges that were, they were going to be accepted into, so we felt, you know, we just really felt like we couldn't say anything. Um, we felt very isolated and very alone. Uh, mm-hmm. We felt very uneducated, very unaware, and... Um, and that was just the hardest thing is uh, to not feel like there were other people that knew what was going on uh, with our situation and being able to reach out somewhere
0: for help.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it, are you saying that it was seen as a, a moral failing or s- because of the criminalizing aura around it? Because if he was Correct. struggling, let's exactly. say, with uh, autism or anything else, right? You would be able exactly. to get support. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay.
2: exactly. And yeah. I think because, yeah. because when you're talk, when you say drugs, you think illegal activity. And right. when you think Ill- Ill- illegal activity, you think of, uh, people out on the streets. You think you don't, you don't ever think about your child, um, being involved in, uh, illegal activity. And you don't think about them, uh, using all sorts of substances. I mean, there are so many that kids can get their hands on today. So I think just the idea of Everyone wants their, you want to be successful parents. You want to have your kids be successful. You're, you want your parents to be proud of you, of how you are raising your kids. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's very difficult when parents and families are in crisis to open up because they, it's the unexp- it's the unknown. It's how are people gonna respond to me? How are people going to react to our situation? Mm -hmm. Um, and we did experience people who did not understand what was going on. And who would turn away or not even want to, you know, speak mm. or, or bring mm-hmm. the issue up because it is a complicated issue. So, thank goodness, the good news is, in 2016, when this made national news with the opioid right. crisis... Um, So many more people are becoming aware and taking notes and thinking about it more, but there is so much work to be done to bring more education, more awareness, and more light to this the situation that it needs to be, I don't want to say more simplified, but people need to be able to have more simple ways to understand it and mm-hmm. believe that it is a disease and, and look at your kid as not a criminal and, and just really bad kid right. um, I mean of course there needs to be consequences I'm not saying that at all absolutely be consequences but when when you've got a child who time and time again With consequences in place and they continue to use substances and, and smoke marijuana or use pain reliever opioids or fine street drugs or use synthetic drugs and consequences are happening over and over and over and they still don't stop using, you know they are an addict. You know there is substance abuse issues going on.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's not uh, just about free will or self control. There's the brain chemistry that's been altered. There's a whole social network, right? There, there's a lot of other factors involved in this thing called being an addict. Yes,
2: yes, right? it's not just they're, about they're. getting back together. Then, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, th- and I, I, see it now as there is spectrums. There are there are spectrums of addiction. Um, I believe you have uh, various ways that people come in to addiction. Um, my son, I believe, you know, starting at a very young age, and genetic factors also play a role with, with people. Therefore, people's genetics are different. The, the phases they may go through are different, and that's why you have, you have addicts that can recover and stay clean, and you have a lot of addicts that lose their life to addiction. So I think there are factors such as genetics, um, I think, you know, somewhat social factors also. If, if, a, if a kid is more social, more outgoing, um, I think sometimes that can pose more problems. I also believe um, a child's makeup, whether they seem to be uptight or anxious, can also impact whether they try substances or not. So there are these different avenues that pull people into substance abuse. And then once someone is pulled into substance abuse, yes, their genetic makeup and their genetic factors will have, will impact or, or, or kind of put this person down the road that they are, are going on. And for a lot of people, that addiction, um, is something they, I mean, addiction is something everyone battles for the rest of their lives. If they've been addicted to something, but I believe some people's struggles, um, like we considered our son a chronic relapser, um, and a chronic relapser, you know, after his fourth, you know, third, fourth rehab, um, and there is those consequences there's that high, high risk of of relapsing again, especially if, mm-hmm. especially if people don't have tools and they're really talking it out and they're really communicating and uh, and just focusing on staying clean. You know, this is day to day for for many people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we're due for a break now, Suzanne. Let's break for a couple of minutes, and when we get back, tell tell us more about your struggle you know, going through these years with him. Okay? We'll be right back. Sure.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself, to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron. Live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen.
1: Welcome back. Suzanne, you know, your book details uh, really so well in such a wrenching way, you know, the the, the process. And you're mentioning now, you know, that Hayden went through many, many relapses. So he was, we can glean that he was suffering, you know, going through all mm-hmm. of that. But what was, how about you? Do you still remember the process for you accompanying your child through all of this while dealing right learning and and kind of catching your breath were you able to catch your breath at all
2: so yes there was those times i mean it was an awful and very you know and i look back now and it was an awful eight years um i think while we were living
1: i didn't realize that eight years i didn't realize that
2: Yes, yes, nice. it was uh, an eight year long eight years for our family. Um, and we were like you said we were we were learning as we went and um, we were not talking to a lot of other people and so we were we were just sort of trying to to do this on our own. Um eventually of course when we began putting Hayden um, into rehabs um, we began to learn a little bit more um, at the time and and begin doing our own research and and trying to, uh, my husband and I worked together, you know, pretty much as a team, trying to understand what we were dealing with. But, um, oh goodness, I mean, Hayden was such a, a great kid uh, when he was, I mean, I, I was, he's a great kid who ended up with a, a a terrible disease. He was very funny. He was very loving. We were very close to him. Um, he could light up a room. He was very entertaining. He was loved very much by the entire family, um, and his brothers and sisters enjoyed him. And so he, he had a good heart. And then when he began struggling, uh, it was very, very hard to, to see him decline. And when he was on substances and, or abusing substances, He became a different person. He was angry. He was, uh, irritated easier. Um, like I said, it, you know, he was lying and stealing and it was just not the kid that we knew he was and definitely not the kid he wanted to be. Um, so this process was very difficult for us to live in. It also impacted the rest of my kids in various ways. Um, and I think, uh, you know, and had those times when he did get clean. And uh, the long, you know, we finally put him in a, a very long-term rehab. His fourth rehab was a uh, little over a year, and he lived at this facility. He was able. He was. He had been using um, heroin, and that's the uh, the substance he his substance of choice before he went into this long-term rehab was heroin. Mm-hmm. And so it took him several uh, weeks to come off of the heroin, but once we began finding or seeing our son come back to us again when he was clean, we were able to spend a lot of time talking with him and um, understanding, you know, what was going on in his head, in his head as best we could. Um, so he was clean uh, for almost 2 years and about a year and a half of that he was clean in a rehab and getting life skills and you know getting these tools to use and learning um, you know how to stay clean and then he spent another um, 6 months at a sober living house when he came out. And so we you know we we felt like maybe this you know, maybe that he was going to be able to do this. Um, we always knew in the back of our head that because of everything he had been through and as much um, as he had used and um, with his personality and his, you know, his addictive uh, disease, that, you know, there was that risk of losing him and the long-term rehab he had been at made sure that all of the families understood the percentage of chance that, that your son or daughter might not make it because it is a mm-hmm. hard road to be to be on. So, um,
1: so when he was so clean, you knew. S- sorry
2: to interrupt. You
1: knew at some point that you could lose him, that he could die from this.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, I would say several years before we did lose him. We did. We became aware of that and we knew his struggles and his battles, but, you know, we also knew there was, there was hope there because there are, there are tools that addicts can use. There are life, um, life plans that an addict can put themselves on to help themselves, um, have a better chance of sobriety. There's, you know, what you surround yourself with. Um, if you, you know, a person with struggling with addiction has to stay very busy and keep themselves occupied and find hobbies and, um, just try to keep your mind from thinking about using basically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yes, we became aware that that could happen. I mean, of course, as parents and he's our child, we wanted desperately to have that hope that he would that he would make it and that he would come out on the other side. He would be able to stay clean. And um, he very much wanted that himself. Um, mm-hmm. He wanted to be able to help other people and and share his story, which he actually was able to do that. Uh, one time he did speak to a crowd of um, people who were struggling with addiction. So he very much wanted to help other people, and he wanted to be able to to share with them um, his struggles and and just connect mm-hmm. with them and, and try to help others. Um, at the same time, a lot of times what comes with addiction is legal charges. Yeah. And with legal right. charges, as, as you know, um, brings a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of stress, especially with someone who is um, an addict and, and has been, you know, in substance abuse. So he did have his own legal charges, uh, which he was dealing with, um, especially when he, they, they put his legal charges on hold while he went to rehab. But mm-hmm. then when he came out, he had to immediately go back on probation, he had to immediately start the range mm-hmm. of things they have you do when you're on probation. And so he was under a lot of stress um, trying to, to, to meet a lot of demands right. on him. School, right. school. he was trying to get back into school. He was trying to hold a job. He was trying to keep up with probation. He was trying to um, uh, drug testing. You used to have all these these things that end uh, that, the stress, I believe, on him is what, right. you know, goodness. Just Basically finally, trying um, to,
1: to handle, to manage life as an addict and – an, a convicted felon. Yeah, that is quite exactly a, a lot for a kid to deal with. But yes. you. How did you uh, deal with that knowledge? As you said, that that you know, my my son could die from this. How did you kind of keep going while holding sure. on so to I, that? You
2: know? you know, and I I totally understand, that. and I and I write about this in my book because I believe or I feel like what we were doing is we. We were trying to almost have two, two lives. We had the life mm-hmm. that we wanted our other kids to have and we still wanted to be, you know, as normal of a family as we could be. We still wanted to be involved in activities and get our other kids in sports and make sure, you know, all their needs were being met and, um, and make sure that we did not keep them from the life that you know that they could have and, and wanted to live, and then we also had the life I say that was more with Hayden. You know, we it was like Hayden was still in with all the family at various times, but there was also this separate, almost separate life with Hayden, where he was going through so much, and we were trying to work with him. So for me as a mom, trying to balance all the different ages of kids, because we did have four kids ranging from at the time when Hayden began his substance abuse, I had a a, a toddler. And then, um, so he, so my, my youngest was 10 years behind my oldest son, Hayden, who started his addiction. So, okay. um, and the other two were right in the middle. And mm-hmm. so, um, we were trying to, to do as much for them as we could. I was, um, my husband just continued to work and I continued to stay. I did continue to stay busy with my activities and my hobbies, and I did have friends uh, that I began talking with, and they began hearing the struggles we were going with. Um, so I did slowly begin to do that, mm-hmm. and then just praying. I mean, I, I, you know, I have my faith, and I, um, I very much believe that that God was present in my life, and um, I began praying and just holding on to to prayer, and then. Um, you know, also just um, trying to keep everything as normal as possible. But what I feel like we did not do is, again, we did not, when Hayden started having his struggles, we didn't take all of us to the table, all the other kids as well. We did not all sit down and discuss what was going mm-hmm. on and what this crisis was and what did it mean for your brother. You know, we were talking to other kids. Mm-hmm. What, what what this means for your brother, what your brother is going through. And now that we know your brother is struggling with this, you know, let's all talk about this. We want you kids to understand what he was able to start using and what he... Um, has quickly developed into with his addiction and just we did not do that. And I think that's a big part of my journey and my story and my desire is now is to really help families to understand before the crisis happens, sit down as a family, sit down with your kids, educate yourself, be aware of, of all kinds of substances that can be abused. Um, young parents, you know, go ahead now. I know it's hard to think about it because you don't want to really think about the fact that something like this major crisis of addiction could happen in your home, but it's better to not have your head in the sand. It's better to go ahead and plan, be aware, understand, and that can help reduce the crisis for your family. It could help reduce the crisis for your child that might start experimenting with drugs, um, if everyone is talking about it and we bring all of this to the surface and we Mm -hmm. all want to learn more and we all educate ourselves, the better off that we will be, families will be, our kids will be. um, This includes even teachers. You know, everyone can come together um, to help to help each other,
1: shall mm-hmm.
2: we say. Yeah. So, so to to make
1: his experience, to make what was going on part of the family story of the as you said, the conversation. It's interesting that you mentioned this because one of the things that I keep harping about really, you know, on, on, on the show is the, um, the the silence, you know, or the silencing that happens when something yes. terrible happens. And and that really that is in a way the more terrible wound. You know, you isolate yourself, right? And, and the thing that just happened be- just remains a mystery and, and, and just something that haunts you. Instead of, as you said, just sit down and make this part of our yeah. family conversation and be in it together and share in right. the meaning making and the coping. Yeah. Um, so you keep men- You keep you keep saying we. Do you mean you and your husband or you, I mean, the whole family? Who was really going through all of this?
2: Yes, so definitely, of course, my husband and I, um, when I say we, um, as time went on and years began to pass, um, we did open up to our extended family. You know, I was talking to my sister, I'd let my parents know, which I knew would be devastating for them to hear everything we were were going through, but I, I knew... After a couple of years, you know, and I shouldn't have waited that long. That's the thing is, why did we wait that long? And, again, I think it was that stigma of are we not good parents? You know, do we not know what we're doing? But um, we did finally open up to... To extended family and begin sharing our, our story with our family who, um, did have questions and they were also trying to, to understand it. Um, mm-hmm. and so, but yes, they, they begin, uh, being more supportive and offering, you know, maybe some solutions of their own or some thoughts mm-hmm. of their own. And, um, and then our kids, again, you know, there was such a range of ages and I really feel like we did not, sit down with them enough and at all, if at all, and just really talk about it as a family together and I regret that, that we did not sit down and, and, and when I say we, it's, it is more of my husband and I, it's more mm-hmm. of the extended family and mm-hmm. of course we were sitting down with Hayden but as far as the younger kids I believe maybe we thought we were protecting them because it was right. their older brother and if they saw what was going on, um, you know, would they fall in those same footsteps, you know and I uh, I think we should have talked more about it because right. we ended up having our, our kids had other issues because they didn't understand and they weren't aware mm-hmm. and they didn't know right. and we should right. have done more.
1: Right, because as it was, also one thing that I, I I know about children is that they they know things they know more than they say, and your three mm-hmm. kids probably were having their own questions and their own process. They they could not. Articulate or share with you. So everybody was going on right. his or her own tracks. Yeah. Right. Um, and I
2: think it was almost as if we were trying to, you know, I would talk to my daughter kind of by herself and then maybe my other son by his and then my youngest daughter. I was trying to just kind of explain it to her. And so it was, you know, I was talking to them, but it was more just kind of one-on-one where I really think it would have been very beneficial when one person in the family is having a struggle and a crisis that you all come together at the same time and, and discuss it so everybody's on the same page and they don't feel guilty and they don't feel like they're being an enabler and there's, there's mistakes, you know. And so, um, so very much, I believe, in, you know, you definitely need to talk one-on-one, but you need to have those group conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking now, realizing now, that the whole experience probably taught you a lot or, or changed your views about parenting. Did you learn a lot about that? Did you have to change your ideas?
2: Um, yes. I mean <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> again it's I I was trying to live the way I lived as a young kid. I mean, my parents, you know, raised my sister and I. Um, it was very easy for the. I don't say very easy, but it was just a different path that they, that I was on than that my kids were on. Um, and so I was trying to parent just like I thought my whole plan was just going to fall into place. And so um, I didn't really, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't evolve or change enough with my surroundings and what was going on around me. Um, I think I was more kind of set in my ways where now all that we've been through, all we've learned, um, I am so much more open. I am open to other people. I am open to other ideas. I am open, open to uh, other opinions. Um, I think I think we have to, uh, or for me personally, um, knowing that there are other ways to look at something, and there's so much more to be learned, and there's, there's so much more that I can keep educating myself about now that I continue mm-hmm. to look for ways to understand um, health, mental health, um, addiction, substance abuse, um, so I've just become very proactive to learn and to understand what other people are going through, and um, in ways that you know that I can help. I, I very much mm-hmm. want to to be there and, and help and and make change and and do what I can.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old are your children now?
2: Um, you say, how old are the other children? Yeah. Yes, so our son Landon is um, now 24, our daughter is 22, and then our other youngest daughter is 16 and still in high school.
1: Okay, okay. Do you consider them sort of launched?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are you done with parenting? (laughs) Well, of course, I, I'm i not sure you're ever done with parenting. And again, I know, it was um, supposed I, to be a bad joke. I, I, <laughs> and again, like I said, because we still have two young adults and I still have a teenager, right. I still have to very much be living in reality and being aware of what's going on in society and what's being in, in social media and, you know... There, there is so much change that continues to occur that I now, if I sense a problem or sense a feeling from one of my kids, I immediately want to just talk about it. I want to just say, hey, you know, this is kind of what I see or what I think. Tell me what what you want me to know or what I can do differently. Mm-hmm. So I think just when you, you know, when I see an issue now, I quickly want to try to address it and try mm-hmm. to be open to it and make change and discussions. I mean... I think we have to to be that way with our kids today, especially because if they're not open to to talk with you, um, they're going to hear all kinds of information from someone else and and somewhere else. And so um, I think I'm just much more open to talk to people, um, for sure, especially my children. And we can never
1: underestimate, you know, the value of just being curious and interested
2: (laughs) in another person's experience, especially
1: at children's.
2: Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that point up because I, you know, I want parents to know that yes, you can, you can do. A lot more. Um, you can start having the conversations. You can become more aware. Um, you know, you have all these avenues that you can use. You can sit down with the kids. Your kids can learn more and know more. But yes, there are those kids that are still mm-hmm. going to experiment, that are still very curious. That, that's just part of their personality. It's part of their genetic makeup. It's part of who they are. And so the point is, though, if the kid is more aware, of how they are feeling, and if the parents are more aware of of, of everything that, that these kids can get their hands on, you mm-hmm. as a parent can recognize issues earlier, and you will understand that that the the earlier that you discuss it and bring it up with your kid and talk about it and even seek outside help, the better off the family can be, and and, and definitely the person abusing the substance. Um, and so um, it is a mm-hmm. joint effort, but parents need to know how to recognize if their kids are experimenting and uh, using substances at a young age and even at an older age, we just need to be aware of that.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, we were due for a break uh, three, four minutes ago and my plan was just to ignore it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the, the sound engineer's having a heart I, attack. I, I so you, know. I'm very passionate about this topic as you I can. I know, probably and
1: I'm just hear. loving <laughs> talking, you know. And so but you know, the poor man is like having a, you know, an epileptic seizure. So let's take a break now. <laughs> sure. And we'll back. I totally understand. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. thank you.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleann.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleannh.com. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living, to reach the program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com now back to the show here again is dr Leanne newin
1: Welcome back. I'm talking now with Suzanne Himke, um, by the way, who just uh, had a book out a few months ago. And Suzanne, I hear that it's doing well. The book is picking up really a full head of steam. And then you're also going to be talking um, at the end of the month in Dallas at a conference called Let's Talk Opioid. Is, am I right?
2: Yes, that is correct. That is definitely correct. And yes, not only, um, you know, the book, uh, when I first wrote the book, um, was just to share our experience and share how things evolved um, through time and just to to let parents know, you know, what it means to have a child that's an addict. And... Um, and how, you know, how to recover after losing him. And, I mean, we just, there's so, so many topics in my book, um, but I've also had parents that are now reaching out to me and saying, you know, we're having trouble with our kid. He's he's He or she is abusing substances, and we've been, you know, grounding them and trying to work through this, and we've read your book, and they have read your book now, and we are... Actually, able to start discussing this and um, and talk about substance abuse and addiction with our kid, and so I just never really thought about the fact that my book could be used as a tool and a guide uh, because mm-hmm. it is our personal story and so um, I feel very, um, I feel very elated that that parents are saying, you know, we are now able to talk with our kid, and they've read the book, and we're all coming together, and it's helping. So that that's very much good news to my ears. Yeah.
1: Now, you did not, no, you did not plan on being an author right and you, uh-huh. you, you mentioned the beginning of the hour about you know you had a life planned with Carl and you know you had ideas and, and so on just to be an ordinary normal family uh, <laughs> right. and so what mm. what was when did you i guess let me just rephrase it the, the, the writing of the book what did that mean to you
2: oh goodness so yes what like were you, you said, trying I, to I do never, with it i never i never dreamed or thought I would be an author, especially not of such a, a serious topic. Um, I, I like to do interior design. I love, you know, I love home decorating and home building, and that was where I was sort of uh, dabbling in, and then, uh-huh. you know, when we start living in this crisis, and then after we come on the other side of the crisis... Um, And I began, you know, I had about a year, especially after my losing my son, that I just would sit and think and I would, I would write, you know, start writing poetry. I mean, for me, it was just comforting to write a song to him or a letter to him or write a poem about him or the struggles that we had been through. So I did that just to help myself cope and recover. Um, and then as time went on, I just thought, man, I really need to, I really need to tell people, you know, what I know. So I began actually speaking to, um, kids. Uh, my first time I actually spoke was to some kids who were in a, uh, a troubled environment, and I wanted to share my son's story, so I did that. And then I spoke to some parents uh, for Red Ribbon Week uh, one year, and then finally when the opioid crisis really made the news, I just thought, man, there are so many people dying from this. What, what mm-hmm. can I do more? And I, I tried to sit down and write a book, and it was, it was hard, and so I would stop, and I just I kept going, but finally I decided to push myself through it and i had to completely relive everything in my yeah. head because i wanted to make sure i got the information out that i thought was extremely important uh, which was our our life story that those 8 years and um i just it began to happen it just began to flow and uh i was able to get it out of my head and onto paper uh which was extremely difficult but i pushed through that and um i'm just very relieved and glad that i that I did, and I can I can hopefully help a lot of other people and families and kids mm-hmm. and anyone in this walk of life right yeah. now, which there it's, are many struggles.
1: It, so it was quite a, a, a long distance from the isolation that you experienced at the beginning of his illness. You said, you know, there was yes. no one that you could talk to. You didn't dare to to say out loud that there was this right. addiction going on. And then mm-hmm. fast forward to, you know, almost 10 years later, here you are going all over the country, speaking of your experience. Right? That's, that's quite a journey. Uh, yeah. Do you still talk to Hayden now? <laughs>
2: Goodness, you asked that question. Um, yeah, I do. I do because I know, uh, and I apologize for getting emotional. Um, not that I need to, but I, I will. Um, I know still Hayden still with you, be, yeah. Okay. Yes, I do talk to Hayden and I'll say hey Hayden we're doing this <laughs> um, I know he would be um, very pleased I know he would be um, very open that his story is being shared um, he even said that to me um, You know, I wanted, I wanted the people to know and I want to be able to tell them but because he was not able to do it personally I yeah. felt a, um, a very strong need he and I were very close and I, I do talk with him and, and I say hey Hayden we're doing this and I keep a picture close at hand, and uh, I feel like he's still in my heart, and he's in my soul, and we do this together to benefit yes. other people and to help other families.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's really amazing that you're doing this because you, in doing this you make sure that his story stays alive, that he continues on, that he continues to be a part yes. of the family. Yes,
2: correct, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think even though we had those very difficult eight years, what is important for people to know is that we did mourn his loss, and we did come to grips with all that we had been through, and we went ahead and pushed through the pain. We we worked together. We talked to each other. We all had our own ways of dealing, but we allowed each other space to deal and to mourn.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And because we did that, um, we did not rob ourselves of the wonderful memories of Hayden and the joy he brought the family and the laughter. And we will still say, "What did Hayden say? What was that quote he always oh, said?" Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> One of us would That's... remember it, and we all just start laughing so hard, and we can we can see him and um, and he touched us in a a very special way before. His disease overtook him, and he had such a difficult battle. Um, He's very funny, and we remember Hayden that way and the joy that he brought all of us. Mm -hmm.
1: And do you, when you look at your children now, the three of them, do you think that they have been much um, changed by the experience, too?
2: Have they grown stronger because of that? i I really do, um, and they are all willing to help now, um, you know, get the message out they 're talking to their own friends, and they tell me when when somebody says something about it, they can reach out and be more open and and my my son and my daughter, who are both adults, um, they're encountering people in different parts of life, um, different ways, and I, they both will say to me, you know, I passed your book on, or my daughter will say, oh, my goodness, I connected with this person. Her sister also is struggling with addiction, and we've talked about it, and so they are all uh, pretty proactive in that um, and then my youngest daughter Olivia um, she wants to be a doctor she's wanted to be a doctor from the time she was very little so now mm-hmm. that she knows all that she does she's also interested in kind of the psychology and she's done her own research <laughs> on addiction trying to understand it and so we all have very much been impacted by it and also want to you know, to put ourselves in those positions where we can offer hope and help. And I will say, my son Landon also, um, he, had, well, he's on, um, ADHD medication for, or ADD medication for himself, which is, is called Vyvanse. Um, and at one point, um, I noticed, um, he was not, um, getting his prescription filled. And he let me know, of course, through text, he's not just a big talker, but through text he said, uh, yeah, I took myself off of it uh, for a while. I want to make sure I'm not addicted to it. And mm-hmm. so I think in the back of our head, you know, we do all think about this issue more and we know it can easily happen and we know that, uh, can you know, can take other people by surprise as well. And so... um all of us are trying to be proactive, and, and my husband is very supportive of me and the book and our story and the journey that we've been on together, and he is talking with people and he has friends reaching out to him, and so um, we are all very much proactive in this, in this mission.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was it that you said at the beginning of the hour about life um, that, that, that you have to change with it? Right? Yes, and um, it seems like you're doing more than just changing with it. You know, you're really, literally authoring <laughs> your life. You know, you're taking the elements, the things that life is throwing at you, and weaving it into this very inspiring and and really this this wonderful and surprising uh, story. Um, yes, and you know, I also know that this kind of thing can really destroy uh, a marriage too. And it doesn't sound like that was the direction. You, it sounds like you have a wonderful partnership.
2: Yes, we, we do have a wonderful partnership. And, you know, we were high school sweethearts, and uh, <laughs> uh-huh. we were always very much interested in the other's interest. I mean, I say, you know, my husband um, would ask me how what was going on with me, and I would talk with him about his work. And um, we were always Interested in each other, we wanted to make sure we spent time together, you know, we kept dating even amongst the crisis, Um, Mm -hmm. we knew we needed to keep dating and keep trying to have this, I mean, we are one, I mean, when you marry, you become one, and so because we were still one, we still needed to do all the things that we were doing together that would keep our marriage strong. Um, and I, I say, you know, not only husband and wife, but we did, at, we did become a team. I mean, we, mm-hmm. it was like he would, he would say something and I, he would bounce it off of me and, and I would, you know, think about it and I would give him information back and we would just kind of go back and forth with, uh, trying to figure out what we mm-hmm. needed to do. So, um, you know, we very much are are glad that we worked as a team, stayed together, pushed through this together, and we are, I mean, I know it maybe sounds silly to say that we are more in love now. I mean, we we pushed oh. through this crisis, okay. and we've come out of this crisis, and um, and I think we just, uh, we still love each other. We still um, can yeah. enjoy life together.
1: Huh. Wow, it's you. You don't, you know, you don't see me because you're calling remote. But I'm tearing up at the thought of that. It's just so wonderful to hear. Yeah. You know? well, and, thank um, you. Yeah, it's we're unfortunately coming to the close of the hour. But but Suzanne, I I thank you so much for taking the time, you know, and and sharing your story. And I'm so so glad that, as you said, you found so much love at the end of this. Uh, you know after this terrible uh, crisis and so I wish you uh, you know so much strength and so much more love as you go forward uh, in in your work
2: I appreciate that I I want
1: to thank um, you very much yeah and so uh, folks we will return next week uh, with another exploration and until then I I wish you all out there a lot of love and beauty as well enjoy your family enjoy your friends bye bye for now Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.